this provides a useful time for us when we have moments like this to take stock of the year that just passed and also to think about the things that, that we want to be aiming for in this coming year. And uh, I know I'll even say this as we kind of recap a little bit uh, this year that's gone by. One of my big goals for this past year was to just look for opportunities to express gratefulness. And so I kind of made that a theme all throughout 2021. Figure out a way to say thank you to this person. Figure out a way to express your gratefulness to the Lord for this circumstance or, or these people. I just wanted it to be a year where, where that was kind of the theme of that year. And let me suggest a theme for each of us as we approach a new year. And uh, it's just the idea of remaining connected to Christ. And I love what Jesus tells us about this, because this is something that I think we could very easily take for granted, or maybe even overlook a little bit, because the portion of Scripture we're about to look at is not very long. We're going to look at John 15, uh, verses 1 through 5, and it just speaks about this idea of remaining connected to Christ. And so as we approach a new year, what will it look like for us to remain connected to Christ in this coming year? We're going to look at John 15. Uh, verses 1 through 5. I'm also going to jump us into Isaiah chapter 5 for just a couple verses in a little bit, but let's start first of all with John 15 beginning with verse 1. Jesus said this. He said, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. And then I love this line that he ends this section with. He says, for apart from me, you can do nothing. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity to be able to, to wrap up our year and approach a new year with thoughts of, of what it means to be connected to you and what it looks like to cultivate that connection. Lord, we're grateful for this portion of your word and for the things that you reveal to us in it. And we pray that by your grace that you'd help us to understand it. We pray that we would rely on your strength and your power that you supply so that we can live it out. And we pray, Lord, that even as we look at what you've revealed to us in this portion of Scripture, that, again, we would do so with a heart of gratefulness, realizing that you have provided all that we need for life and godliness. So, Lord, we're grateful for the privilege to be able to look at these things now. We pray that our hearts would be open to the teaching of your word, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So, behind my house, there is a row of arborvitae trees. I know many of you have been over for picnics and different events, so you could probably picture this a little bit. Behind my house, there's kind of a steep hill, and we have a retaining wall there. And then on the other side of the retaining wall, there's these arborvitaes that go across the back, and then they go across the side. And uh, maybe about five or six years ago, I planted another row of them going across this side here. Now, those are a lot younger, obviously, than the ones that have been in the ground there for a while. Those are much taller. In fact, when I look at, at uh, the arborvitaes that are, that are primarily there, they were there prior to us buying our home. And, and based on their size, I would assume that they've been there at least for a couple decades. 
And I really like them. I'm really glad that they're there. I'm really glad that the previous owner took the time to, to plant most of those because they look attractive. Uh, they provide shade. They mark our property line. And I also like the fact that they offer just a natural form of privacy. You know, it turns the backyard area a little bit more private, provides a little bit of privacy from our neighbors that live behind us, even though our neighbors are perfectly fine. It's just kind of nice to sometimes live in your own world sometimes in your backyard. So I want those trees to thrive. I want them to do well. But there's one issue that concerns me. And the issue that concerns me is that there's a series, there's this buffer area between my property and neighboring properties that nobody owns. And because nobody owns it, it's just this strip of land that nobody owns. Since nobody owns it, nobody takes care of it. And because nobody owns it and nobody takes care of it, things grow there that tend to be invasive. And so I think, you know, in our neighborhood, we all take turns getting sick of it. And then when we get sick of it, then I go up there and I try and take care of it. And when my neighbors get sick of it, then they go up there and try and get, try and take care of it. But it's not consistently cared for. And because it's not consistently cared for, there are things that grow there that are sometimes invasive, including some vines that come out of that area somewhere and they have started to wrap themselves around those arborvitaes. Now, I have attempted to remove those vines multiple times. You have to be a little bit tricky, too, because there's some poison ivy back there in that no-man's land. But I've attempted to remove those vines multiple times. And one year, they got so bad that I even thought, you know, I'm just going to like hire a company to come in and, and, uh, and do this like really well. And, uh, and so they came in. They did a really good job. But every attempt to get those things out of there has only ever partially Worked, And what happens is the presence of those invasive weed vines, uh, it, it gets lessened for a little bit, but eventually they return, and eventually they continue to cause problems, and eventually they wrap themselves around those arborvitaes. And I'm guessing that one of the problems, there's probably several reasons why we're dealing with this, but one of the issues is that we haven't quite figured out where they're originating. Because if we could figure out where they're originating, we could probably stop them from doing this. And every time we think we've figured it out, apparently we have not yet figured it out. Because they're connected to the ground somewhere, they are still obtaining nourishment, they're still obtaining strength, they're still continuing to be a problem. Now, think about our lives for just a second. Life requires connection, and life requires care. You're going to live a healthy life, it needs to be a connected life. It needs to be a life that involves some care. I believe that the Lord understands my desire to care for my trees. Uh, in many respects, when you look at the analogies that he gives us in, in Scripture about what he does for us, he cares for us in a very similar way. He nurtures us. He feeds us. He waters us. He, he plucks weeds from around us so that those things don't choke us out. But as he does so... His expectation for you and for me is that we would flourish in our relationship with him. But unfortunately, that's not always the case. And so you look at a portion of scripture like we just read together from John chapter 15. And in John chapter 15, Jesus makes a statement where he calls himself a vine. Now here he's not talking about this idea of being a vine like a weed, like I'm dealing with. He's talking about a productive, fruit-bearing vine, right? He says, I am the true vine. And in this passage, he teaches us that we need to remain connected to him for the nourishment that we need. We need if we want our life to flourish, our life needs to be connected to Christ. And so, again, as we're preparing our minds to approach a brand new year and the reality and all that's going to be entailed in this coming year, 
I just want to encourage us on our final Sunday together in this year to be intentional about nurturing our connection with Christ over the course of the next 12 months. And Jesus gives us counsel here that he wants us to follow because he's showing us exactly how that can be done. And there's a variety of things that Jesus shows us here, but one of the things that, that, he, that he reveals in those opening verses is that he offers us a fruitful relationship with him. So just think about the way he phrases it here. I'll even reread it for us. He, he says it this way. He says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. And then he says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Now let's pause there for a second and just think about some of the things that Jesus is stating, even in just those two verses. So this was a portion of Scripture that was communicated as Jesus was preparing for the fact that his execution on the cross was not too far in the future. And so during that time, knowing that that time was short, he took some time to be very intentional about teaching his disciples some critical things about the nature of what it looks like to have a genuine relationship with him. He wanted them to understand these things. He wanted to communicate these things to them. He also wanted this information passed down to us. And as he did in other conversations, and he certainly did this all throughout the Gospels, all throughout the course of his earthly ministry, he used some analogies to illustrate to his followers what he actually meant. And in this passage here, you have Jesus referring to himself as the true vine. Now, when you think about what life was like for those living in Israel um, at the time, vineyards were something that were, were pretty familiar. Vineyards were something very common. That area that they were in, that area that these words were spoken, you could look around, you'd see vineyards all over the place. And so Christ's disciples, they could mentally envision the example that Jesus was using here when he's talking about vineyards and, and, and what that would look like. And he also describes God the Father as a vine dresser here, or the one who would intentionally care for the branches in order for them to be plentiful and for them to produce good fruit. And so Jesus was using this analogy here to help his, his disciples understand the importance of having a fruitful relationship with him. And I think that that concept should catch our attention when we read these words. I think we should look at this and say to ourselves, this isn't something just revealed to them. This is something being passed along to us as well so that we would understand what a fruitful relationship with Christ looks like. Not a dull relationship with Christ, not a neglected relationship with Christ, not something where we could say, and I don't know if you've ever done this, where you've looked at your life and you've said, all right, when I think back to that season, that's when my faith was really strong. That was a good season. That's when my faith was really strong. What about now, right? Like, what does now look like if our relationship with Christ is fruitful? Not just back then, whatever the glory days of our faith happened to be. Let's make now those days. And so Jesus here talks about this idea of a vine dresser, his Father, God the Father, accomplishing something that helps produce fruitfulness. And the way he, he speaks of this here, he says, all right, first of all, unfruitful branches will be taken away. So knowing that Jesus is using an analogy here for people's relationship with him, he says unfruitful branches will be taken away. Well, all right, let's think about this on the human level. What would be a good example that he might be referring to in this context, and maybe even someone in his hearing who is hearing this at the time, 
Who is Jesus referring to? Or is there an example in that context that Jesus would be referring to? Well, I think Judas is a great example of what Jesus is speaking of here. Judas appeared to be a devoted follower of Christ from all externals. If you ask people at the time, they would have said, Judas is a follower of Christ. He follows Jesus. We happen to know where Judas's heart actually was. It became clear that his heart was quite distant and quite hostile to Jesus. He was one of those people that, that seemed to be following Jesus with the thought of something he might get from Jesus if Jesus set up an earthly kingdom right then and there. Judas expected to be somebody who benefited from that and profited from that, and, and he, he thought, oh, I'm going to be on the inner circle of all of this. And, and then when that was shown to him not to be the case during that era of history, it seems that he became quite resentful and combative. And he appeared at this point, though, to be a, a follower of Christ, yet it becomes clear over time, his heart's distant, he's hostile to Jesus, and in time, what happens? Judas is taken away. Judas is taken away. It becomes clear. He was re- you could say he was removed because he's not bearing spiritual fruit. He's shown to have the fruit of unbelief, not spiritual fruit, the fruit of belief. But Jesus also teaches something here that I want us to notice if you, if you do have genuine faith in him, all right? If, if we who are gathered here have genuine faith in Christ, there's something here that I hope caught your attention. Jesus teaches that the Father will, will prune fruitful branches in order to make them more fruitful. So let's say you're, you're in the midst of a fruitful relationship with Jesus Christ. That's wonderful. Continue in that direction. But understand that the Lord is looking at you and saying, I'm not afraid to continue to invest in you. I will prune your life so it becomes even more fruitful. When you think about a tree that you're trying to cultivate or a plant that you're trying to cultivate, if you see unfruitful branches on it, you don't want the energy and the nourishment that's in, that's in the, you know, the, the trunk or the base of that plant going to a, a branch that's not producing fruit. You want all of that energy going where the fruit is ultimately produced. And so if there's something unfruitful, what do you do? You trim it off, you clip it off, so that you're not wasting the nourishment in the midst of the plant. And here we're told that the Father will prune fruitful branches in order to make them more fruitful. Now, again, at face, at face glance, right, that, that statement, it, it sounds fine and it sounds logical. But have you ever gone through a season where the Lord decided to do some pruning in your life? Have you ever been through one of those seasons where you've experienced what this pruning actually looks like? Now, when he does so, the end result is wonderful, but just think about this for a second. Frequently, the process to prune my life or your life produces some short-term pain and some short-term discomfort. And sometimes we even confuse the, that pruning and we think, what, what does God have against me? What, like, why is he doing this to me? Why is he... Why is he doing this pruning in my life that hurts a little bit. I thought, he, I thought he loved me. I thought he wanted what was best for me. Well, Jesus explains it here. The Father prunes fruitful branches, make them even more fruitful. If he sees something coming off there that doesn't need to be there, he takes that away, wants to make it a little bit more fruitful. He wants us to, to continue growing. So think about how that works. So in his pruning, as the Lord prunes your life or my life, what might he remove? Well, sometimes he might remove certain people from your life. Have you ever experienced that where you spend a lot of time with certain people and then all of a sudden they're not part of your life anymore and you're like, where did they go? Or why did they go? 
And you see that pruning take place, and you're like, ow, that hurt. Like, that wasn't, that didn't feel good. And what's the Lord indicating? Yeah, it may not feel good, but it's ultimately good for you. He may completely alter your career. Looking around at some of your faces and knowing some of your stories and knowing some of you for quite a while, I've actually seen some of us here in our church family experience this in some rather drastic ways, right? So I think you could probably identify that. Sometimes the, the Lord just completely alters what you thought you were going to be doing, like completely alter your career. He may place you in a location that is unfamiliar or among people that are unfamiliar. He may, and I've had him do this for me many times, he may take away some things from your life that you have developed an unhealthy dependence on. Do you ever think about that? Like where the Lord just takes something away that you've developed an unhealthy dependence or an unhealthy reliance on, and you look at that, and in, in retrospect, you realize, oh, I see why the Lord did that. He did that to remind me that He's sufficient, that all I needed was Him, and I was depending on this or that. And it's like, no, I didn't need this or that. I didn't need the perfect circumstance. I didn't need that resource. I didn't need all these details to work out exactly like I had planned for them to work out. What the Lord wanted me to see was that He was sufficient even in the midst of certain things that look to me like lack in the moment. He wants you and He wants me to have an abundantly fruitful relationship with Him. He wants us to have an abundantly fruitful relationship with His Son, Jesus Christ. Now, this passage in Scripture is not the only place where the Lord talks about His desire to nurture and prune His people. This is not a unique statement in Scripture. In fact, another good example of this is given to us in the book of Isaiah. And I'm just going to read it to you because it's really brief, the portion I'm going to read. So you're welcome to turn there if you want, but by the time you turn there, I'll probably have already finished reading it. But Jesus shows us that He's invested in our fruitfulness in every way possible. And I want to show you something really brief from Isaiah chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. And in that portion of Scripture, it says this. It says, let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. So again, there's a portion of Scripture written about 700 years prior to John chapter 15. But again, it says, let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. And he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. Think about those statements for just a second. For, for about five years, almost exactly five years, right, right prior to our family moving here to Langhorn, my wife and I had the opportunity to direct the Pocono Mountain Bible Conference. And I know that, that several of you have been highly involved in that ministry. That's the ministry where I came to know Jesus as a, a young person, and then I was discipled there as a teenager. So it's always been a very important ministry to me and to our family. And so for five years, uh, the Lord gave us the opportunity to actually direct that ministry. And I always got to hear interesting stories along the way. People would share a little bit about the history of that ministry with me along the way. And if you've never been there, the, the main area when you pull in, you see a few buildings and you see a courtyard. And on either side of the courtyard, there are cabins that kind of just go parallel down that courtyard. And I remember for the longest time, so when I was, you know how passionate I am about lawn care, right? So just imagine if I'm in charge of 16 acres of land, right? Like 
that's really going to fire me up. You know, I'm going to look around, I'm going to like, I need 16 acres to look as pristine as I can make it. So I would focus on that land, and people, people would see me trying to grow the grass in that courtyard. That courtyard was always a struggle, but we got it looking real good over time. And you know what helped? Some of the things that had been done in the past started to bear fruit a little bit later on. And one of the things that was done in the past, there's always a week there in August, and I usually still teach for it, uh, where pastors come up to the camp and they have a week of classes that are taught by more seasoned pastors. They teach the new pastors different things about pastoral theology or church leadership or things like that. And, um, and it used to be customary that during that week, the pastors were also given work assignments around the camp property. And one of the work assignments that was pretty common for the pastors to have to do during that week would be to stand on either end of that courtyard and just walk in a straight line, and anytime you saw a rock protruding from the ground, pull it out. Like, just get the rock. And you would just make a line, and you would just walk. And you would, because that soil up there is so rocky. And it was so hard to get grass to grow in that courtyard for years and years and years. And so the pastors would just line up and they would just walk that courtyard. And anytime you saw a rock, you picked it up. And then, you know, you, whatever rocks you collected, you just put in the woods. And, and over time, what ended up happening, you do that enough times, and that land gets cleared of most rocks. Not all, but most. And now it's a little bit easier to try and grow some grass in there. And I bring that up because... In Isaiah 5, which I just read there, oh, I remember when I, you know, when I first really noticed this, it reminded me of that experience because we're told here of someone who looks at a fertile hill and says, all right, I want this hill to be as useful as possible, but what, what does it tell us here? It tells, it tells us that the person caring for this fertile hill clears it of stones, remo you know, removes the stones from it so that ultimately this could be an area that is really good for growing something. And we're also told that this, that this owner of this property, you know, this person um, that, you know, that, that has this vineyard, that he plants choice vines on that hill, that he builds a watchtower to guard over it, that he hews out a wine vat with the expectation that it's going to, to be a, this carefully cultivated vineyard that yields a really good crop, really delicious grapes. But what does the scripture tell us that that vineyard ultimately yielded? tells us that the vineyard yielded wild and sour fruit instead. So something that wasn't useful, essentially, you know, garbage, right? It, its produce was essentially useless and disappointing, considering how much had been invested in it. And I believe when you go back to John chapter 15 now, that Jesus may very well be alluding to this passage from Isaiah when he's speaking of himself as the true vine. I think that this isn't far from Christ's mind. I think that this is quite possibly what he's been alluding to here. Because Isaiah's passage was prophetically speaking of the Lord's work to cultivate both the people of Israel and Judah. That's what the Lord had been doing. When you look through the Old Testament, you see the Lord cultivating the people of Israel, cultivating the people of Judah. He established them. He blessed them. He protected them. He provided for them. But ultimately, what did they do during that generation? They rejected him. They ignored his word. And they coveted the false assurances that come with idolatry. And many of them welcomed all kinds of idolatry into their lives. And ironically, some of those same issues are present among people who call themselves Christians right now. It's not just an issue that the people of Israel and Judah wrestled with. It's an issue that we could easily wrestle with and maybe do wrestle with 
right now. Because when you think about it, Jesus has already invested in your fruitfulness and my fruitfulness in every way possible. When He ascended to heaven, what does Scripture tell us? He sent His Spirit. He sent the Holy Spirit to indwell us. And what else has He done? He's given us His Word. Scripture also tells us He empowers us. And yet, we struggle in the same exact ways that the people of Israel and Judah did. And I'll give you proof that what I'm saying is absolutely true. We claim to be people who believe that the Word of God is true. And yet, how much time do we actually spend immersed in it? The vast minority of professing Christians will ever pick up a Bible during a given week and actually take time to read it, and take time to utilize what the Lord has given to us to nourish, our, to nourish us in a very obvious and a very clear way. He's made it so accessible to us. And when you look at the languages in which Scripture was written, it's written in common languages so that people like us could understand it. You don't have to be PhDs to understand the Scriptures. We also have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit who helps us to understand what we're reading. And yet so frequently what happens happens to all of us. We get very busy with other things. We get focused on other things. We look at other things as enjoyable and reading the Word of God like it's a chore. And sometimes we even wrestle with coveting the false promises of, of our cultural idols. And we form many opinions and, and, and preferences primarily based on celebrity culture and not the actual teaching of what Scripture reveals. You know, when you look at what influences so many lives, when you look at what influences fashion, when you look at what influences lifestyles, it's like celebrity culture influencing so much of it, and you even have professing Christians that buy right, right into that, and why are we so easily led astray? So easily led astray because we don't welcome the nourishment that the Lord's placed right in front of us. The meal that He's placed right in front of us, we're like, you know what, I realize that's good, but I'll, maybe I'll eventually get to that. Maybe that'll be like a 2023 goal, you know, I'll eventually get. You know, that'll be something eventually I get around to. And by the way, I'm not saying any of this to beat any of us up. I just want to be truthful about it, because I think that if we call things like that out and just acknowledge that it does tend to be a little bit of a struggle for us, we, if we can acknowledge where we start veering off course, we just say it out loud, it's, very e it's much easier for us to be able to look at that and say, all right, you know what, now that I've acknowledged it, maybe I'll actually do something about it. It's usually when something goes unacknowledged that it gets unaddressed. And so we want to utilize the investments that Christ has made in our life. Just like when you look at that, that person owning that field, you know, removing the stones, cultivating it, preparing it, put a watchtower over it, getting ready for some good fruit and then getting sour grapes. And it's like, wait a second, what's going on here? I don't want my life to produce sour grapes for the Lord. You know, after all the things that the Lord's done for me and continues to do for me, I don't want to just be able to say, you know what, thank you for the investment, but I'm pretty much just going to waste what you've given me. I'm just going to waste it because I like being distracted. I don't want to do that. You know, I want to be able to say, Lord, here's good fruit. It's good fruit you've cultivated. It's good fruit, good fruit that's come from the investment that you graciously chose to make in me. I want to be able to offer you good fruit. I think God should be able to expect good fruit from my life and from your life after all that he's invested to get us to this spot where we're at right now. And so Jesus says, all right, let me show you how this is done. Let me show you how this actually is accomplished. 
And he uses a phrase here that sometimes has me scratching my head. And every time I preach on this, I'm grateful every time I I come back to John chapter 15 because it reminds me afresh of what this is actually talking about. But when you look at verses 3 and 4 of John 15, Jesus invites us to abide in him. Well, what on earth does that mean? Let me read what he says here, and then let's talk about it. He says, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. And then in verse 4, he says, abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Now again, every time I have read this portion of Scripture, it's forced me to pause for a few moments and reflect on what Jesus actually means when he says, abide in me. And I've often asked, what does Jesus mean by this statement? What is he talking about? Because we don't typically use language like that. We don't typically say it that way. What does he mean, abide in me? Well, when we're talking about abiding in Christ, we're we're very simply just talking about this idea of remaining connected to him. Remaining connected to him, to abide in Christ It involves living in a close relationship with him instead of trying to walk away from him. A branch won't grow if it's not connected to the vine. So likewise, we are not going to grow if we're not living in a healthy relationship with Christ. So what does union with Christ entail? You know, if it's actually your desire and my desire to live in that healthy relationship where we're abiding in Christ, what does a healthy relationship with him look like? Can I suggest a few different things that I think will be helpful for us if we're, if we're actually seeking to cultivate a healthy relationship with Christ? Let me give you a few things that make sense to me. There's probably more that could be added to this list, but these are some of the main things that I think about when I think about this idea of what does it mean to remain close to Christ? What does it mean to uh, abide in Christ? Well, if someone's abiding in Christ, if someone's living in a close relational connection with Christ, I think, first of all, Jesus will remain on the forefront of their mind. He won't just be some afterthought. Right? You won't just walk around in your life and then now and then think, oh, wait, and then there's Jesus. Jesus will remain on the forefront of your mind if you're living in a close relationship with him. I think something else that's true of a close relationship in Christ, if we're cultivating that, a person who's cultivating a close relationship with Christ, their faith in Christ will continue to grow and will continue to mature as they learn to trust him more. And by the way, that's one of the benefits that you experience over time, as you've been walking with Christ over time. You get to see how he came through for you here and there, and in this case, in this case, and what happens? Your trust in him grows deeper and deeper and deeper. Just think about some of your closest relationships and friendships. What happens? Or even in a marriage. You know, I even think of this in in relation to, to my marriage uh, Andrea and I dated for a little over three years, and now we've been married for, well, since 98. Let me do some math. Since 98, 23.5. 23.5. So that's 26. Point, so it's 27 years of our life, essentially, right? So what happens over the course of 27 years? You, you know a lot of details about each other, right? You know, you just know each other. You know, you could finish each other's sentences. You know how the other person thinks. You know what's going to make them happy or what's going to irritate them. And trust develops and grows. And here in this context, the longer we walk with Christ, the longer we live in a relationship with Christ, the deeper our faith will mature and the trust that we have for him is going to develop as well. Third thing I think that is evidence of living in close proximity to Christ is that 
that we start practicing habits and making decisions that are the fruit of his influence and the fruit of our genuine love for him. Like it becomes very obvious when you look at somebody's life if they're living in close proximity to Christ because you could tell that he's influencing them. I, I won't embarrass uh, my kids, but I was really pleased. One of them said to me the other day, I'm trying my best in this context that I'm in to remember that I represent Christ to these people. That to them, I'm one of the only Christians that they even know. And so when that is an opportunity that the Lord gives us, isn't it nice when you can say, yeah, I'm living under the influence of Christ and the practices, habits, and decisions that I'm making come from that relationship. Here's a fourth thing that I think is evident that we're abiding in Christ. If you're abiding in Christ, I think you will joyfully invest in your ongoing growth. And I think that's done through things like prayer. I think it's done through fellowship. I think it's done through service. I think it's done through the reading of Scripture. I think we will joyfully invest in our ongoing growth because we will want to be, like he says here, even more fruitful and even more fruitful. And here's one other thing that I think is, is very makes it very evident if somebody's walking in close proximity to Christ or abiding in Christ. I think you start to see the fruit of the Spirit coming out of their life. You know, Jesus here is talking about fruitfulness. Well, in Galatians 5, you have the Apostle Paul talking about the fruit of the Spirit. What's the fruit of the Spirit? You see, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are things that don't just find their, they don't find their source in us. This is evident that the Holy Spirit that he is working in us, that he's transforming our thinking, and as our thinking is transformed, our life is transformed. In fact, we're given a brand new life, and the fruit of his presence in your life will start to become obvious. And as you're connected to Christ, what happens? That's the fruit that's nourished. That's the fruit that, that goes on display. That's the fruit that blesses your children. That's the, 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 the fruit that blesses your spouse and your neighbors, your coworkers, the people that you interact with. That's the fruit that the Lord brings forth from your life, and it becomes very evident that you know Him and you love Him. One last thing I want to point out to us this morning from what Christ says in John 15, and that's this, especially as we look at the idea of a new year. And I'm sure that you've got stuff on your list that you're thinking about accomplishing and ways in which you want to use this year that you think will be useful. Here's the thing. Jesus will empower us to do what will have lasting value. There are a lot of things I've done in my life that did not have great value. I know a friend of mine, he recently painted his back deck, and I don't know if he used garbage paint or what he used, but very soon after he painted his back deck, we looked at his back deck, and it looked like it hadn't been painted in a decade. And I, he's like, I don't know, it just all came off. I was like, what did you use? What did you use? You just like mix toothpaste and water and then like whitewash it a little bit and then the rain came and washed. I, we looked at it, I was like, what did you paint this with? He's like, I bought it at the store. It seemed good when I bought it. It's like, you got ripped off, dude, you know, and how do you return paint, you know? Well, what does it look like? And I just want to finish up with this. Jesus empowers us to do what will have lasting value. Well, what's this lasting value? What does that look like? Look at verse five. Jesus says this, I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. That's the idea of, of, of nothing, nothing of consequence, nothing of lasting value. But with what Christ produces in our life, we could do something of lasting value. Do you, do you make lists? Anyone here make lists? Like as you approach your week, do you make a list? 
I frequently do that. So a couple people over here, I high-fived to Scott. He just showed me his list. Um, the, so along my desk here, I have lists. Uh, I have an office at home, and that one's even worse. I've got lists all over the place on that one. Uh, I write them on index cards and sticky notes, and they're lists of different things that I want to do over the course of a week or over the course of a day. Sometimes when I'm approaching a day, if I'm feeling stressed because I have too much I have to get done, it actually removes some of that stress from me. If I just write it down in a list and then I start check, checking things off of it, I'm like, good, now here we go. My mind doesn't have to be jumbled. I just have to just go to the list, go to the list. And sometimes I get super productive on a day like that where things that I did earlier in the day before I made the list, I'm like, I'm writing it down just so I could put the check mark next to it. It's like, it's already done, but you know what? I also did that. So it's like, look at that. That's a good list, right? Do you ever do that with your life or with a coming year? Do you ever just make a list and say, here's, here's my list uh, you know, people, like, they talk about it like their bucket list, right? You know, you make your bucket list. This is what I want to do with my life, right? Do you know where that term, the bucket list, comes from? It's before you kick the bucket. That's the idea. Before I kick the bucket, I want to, I want to like, I want to complete this list. Do you ever make a list like that? I did years ago, and it's kind of neat when, when some of those things on that list, when they actually happen, because sometimes you put some things on there that are, seem a little bit dreamy, and then, by God's grace, sometimes he even allows us to experience some of these things. But, I, you know, sometimes I look at that stuff and I think, all right, Lord, what do you want on the list? Like, I know the type of things that I'm likely to put on the list, but what do you want on the list? Like, meaning, what should I be focusing my attention and my energy on? What do you want on the list? I'm approaching a new year. What should be on the list? And I've noticed that over time, the more I pray about that, the less my list seems to be focused on goals or ambitions that I would consider of a selfish nature. They tend to be more of an others-centered nature when the Lord is inspiring the things on the list. And they tend to be more along the lines of the legacy of faith type of things that can be ultimately, you know, the fruit of a life lived in close proximity to Christ. And I, I love what Jesus says here in, in John 15, 5, because when I read a verse like this, I'm reminded of that saying, I think it was Elizabeth Elliot that said it, and I could be wrong, but I think she's the one that said it. Do you ever hear the saying, all that's done for self will pass, only what's done for Christ will last? Do you ever hear that saying? All that's done for self, that's going to pass. Only what's done for Christ will last. I actually think that's what Jesus is demonstrating here. In John 15, 5, if we abide in him, the true vine, we will bear much fruit, and it will be quality fruit. It will be meaningful fruit. From your life will come lasting fruit, fruit that will outlast you. Isn't that a fascinating thought? You know what I did yesterday? It kind of choked me up a little bit. A few years ago, my mother passed away, and when someone you love passes away, do you ever go through and then try and collect every note they've ever given you or any video you have or anything? Well, I, I went through my phone and uh, found voicemails from my mother. And one of them just wished me and my family a Merry Christmas. And so yesterday I played that in our family room, my mother wishing us a Merry Christmas, right? And so you, it's like emotional to do that but really useful to do that. Because sometimes I like to think about, all right, what fruit could come from your life that could actually outlast your life? 
There are artifacts that we leave all around this earth, whether it be a recording or an investment you made in someone younger than you or something you write down or something that you passed along to somebody else. And maybe some people don't even know where they got it from, but somehow it got into their life because it came from you. And isn't it interesting to think that the kind of fruit that Jesus could produce from your life is fruit that could actually outlast your earthly life. That's the kind of fruit that Christ is talking about here. You know, it's fruit like so fruitful that it goes beyond the few short decades that you have here on this planet. And it's fascinating to me to think about that. But that's how fruitful he wants to make you and me. And apart from him, we can do nothing of lasting value. But with him, there are things that can be done in and through your life that can impact generations that will come after you that you won't even meet, at least this side of heaven. That's a cool thought. There are artifacts that you're leaving all along the way that can impact somebody who's not even born, maybe someone that won't even be born until you're long gone. Jesus here says, I am the true vine. And he just wants us to understand the nature of what it means to be connected to him by faith, a deep and growing relationship with Christ. It's going to result in in peace in all circumstances. It's going to result in hope in trials. It's going to result in strength in adversity. It's going to result in a joy that can't be taken from you. So where are you trying to receive power? Where are you trying to receive counsel? Where are you trying to receive your nourishment or your sense of peace? For the true Christian, the answer can only be Jesus Christ, the true vine. And I just want to encourage us as we, as we collectively and individually approach a new year, let's make this a year where we invest in or cultivate the connection that Christ allows us to have with him, that relationship. Let's abide in Christ as he encourages us to do in this portion of his word. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for just the opportunity we have to be able to look at a portion of your word like this together. Lord, it's so enjoyable to think that that you love us as much as you do, that you would choose to make these kind of investments in us, that you would look at our life and say, I want you to be fruitful, but the only way for you to be fruitful is for me to cultivate the life that I've blessed you with. And so, Lord, you do pruning in our life on a regular basis to make us fruitful. You take things out of our life that we kind of want there, and you don't want it there, and so you take it away. Sometimes we complain, and sometimes we whine, and sometimes we moan because it hurts a little bit, and yet you remain focused on our fruitfulness. So, Lord, we pray that when we go through our next season of pruning, that we would look at it from your perspective and from your eyes, and that instead of complaining, we just say thank you. Because what you're doing is ultimately for our benefit and for your glory. And Lord, again, as we approach a new year, there's all sorts of things that we could put on a list. There's all sorts of things that could be driving ambitions that our minds get focused on. But Lord, we pray that, that those ambitions that, that we're focused on would not be selfish things. We pray that we would be focused on what ultimately brings you the most glory. So as we interact with those in our household, as we, as we live out our faith in all contexts that you place us in, we pray that as we do so, that it, we, that it would be done in such a way that it's very obvious that our connection with you is strong. Lord, if any of us feels weak right now, what a blessing to just be able to acknowledge that weakness 
You tell us that blessed are the poor in spirit. So, Lord, we thank you for that blessing. Help us to acknowledge areas that we feel a little weak so that we could just call those things out and say, all right, Lord, I notice it. Please help me. Please prune in this area. Please nourish in this area. Please help me not to fight the work you're doing. So, Lord, we're grateful that we can do that. And, Lord, in the areas where you're helping us to produce fruit, we pray that it would be lasting fruit that brings you glory that is used of you to touch the life of somebody else, to help somebody else come to a closer knowledge of you. And we're just so grateful, Lord, for the privilege to be able to walk with you daily. We're so grateful that you look at us like a landowner that is trying to cultivate a fruitful vineyard, and you're willing to make sacrifices for our benefit, and you're willing to make investments for us, and you're willing to do ongoing care so that we continue to grow, so that we continue to improve, so that we continue to develop more Christ-likeness and reflect your heart. Lord, it's such a privilege to be able to start off our day, to be able to end our year, to be able to start a new year looking at your word together and worshiping you together. And so, Lord, as all those things are taking place right now, we, we, we just express our gratefulness to you. We thank you for the year that has passed and what you've taught us, and the experiences that you've given to us, and how you've shown yourself sufficient in the midst of our trials. And Lord, as we approach a new year, we don't even have to know all the details. We don't have to know everything that's going to come, every challenge we're going to face to some degree. Even though those are real things, it's also somewhat irrelevant in the sense that we know you will be present with us. And so we just march right into it, grateful knowing that, that you've got it all worked out for your glory and for our good. So we thank you, Lord, for all these things and for the blessing to be able to just think about them in the midst of our week. We commit ourselves to you, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.